everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Titans Together, a comic podcast retrospective kind of deal. I'm Joe Pride, and with me as always is my co-host. Hi, I'm James, also known as Geeky JP. Uh, today we are going to be covering New Teen Titans, what is published as volume six, which is October 1983 through April 1984. It collects New Teen Titans 35 through 40, Tales of the Teen Titans 41, and Batman and the Outsiders 5. Can we do like a weird shift disclaimer thing? Because like, they had me read Batman and the Outsiders last. Weird. Did that happen to you or no? No, mine was placed in sequence with whichever, 39, I think, 38. So for reference, I mm. use uh, I use the DC Universe Infinite app to read mm-hmm. all my issues. And then you read them. I think you buy like the digital volumes, right? Correct. So he you has you have them collected. I don't. I have to like go issue by issue. And I read them out of order. So I was very confused. So whereas uh, Batman and the Outsiders is last in my notes, we'll just put that right into right after issue 37 and then yes, 38. between 37 and 38 is where it happens. So weird. confusing. Comics are weird. I don't know. <laughs> I thought they did a really nice job in the Kindle Comicsology version. They have facing covers, so they put those together first, and then it's issue 37, and then it's Batman and the Outsiders 5, like all in one sort of. Oh, pretty- I love that. I actually got to see the covers together as one splash. I have words about the artwork of the Batman and the Outsiders. We are fully past the halfway point of the initial run. But we do have like a little scheduling conflict where (laughs) Aaron will be on next episode, not this episode. And right, I guess that's good because this is kind of all feels like a prologue to the Judas Contract, the Mm -hmm. inevitable betrayal of Terra to the Teen Titans which I thought was this volume, but no, we got a whole set of stories kind of deepening her connection to the Teen Titans. We have issue 35, which opens up with some like nice cyborg and beast boy bonding. This whole issue was very like real world issue heavy. I thought the opening was bizarre is my word choice in my notes, just because it starts with cute horseplay between uh, changeling and cyborg, but it immediately turns into this really weird sequence where I forget he's throwing him or something at him and it like knocks Raven off a staircase and suddenly Raven is plummeting to her doom. And they were very <laughs> it dramatic about dark. it. <laughs> they were very dramatic of like Raven could die. And I'm like, I think Raven's fine, guys. Does like, she fly? I guess technically in the comics she doesn't. And that was a cartoon mm, evolution. Technically but, she just teleports i think Mm. at least in this version of herself there are many other versions of raven that we'll get into but this very first inspiration like um iteration of raven she can't fly so amidst their horseplay cyborg throws gar into raven unbeknownst to himself and it all serves the point of telling us what we've been told a lot this volume that raven is doing her best to control her use of her powers for fear of trigon's return and I feel like that just replaces Wally's annoying, like, do I leave or do I not leave? It's like Raven now just talking about one thing and one thing only this entire volume, which is I can't use my powers. See, I thought there was a sort of artful turn to this in that it vividly demonstrates Raven won't use her powers even to save herself. Like she's plummeting to her doom for several panels. 
But then several times throughout this, she'll tell the other characters that she's compelled to use her powers to help other people. And so it yeah. really shows that dichotomy of, well, I can't do anything for myself, but I'll do anything for anyone else. And I mean, it's not certainly not healthy, but it shows a certain sort of sweetness about Raven's character. She's very pure in that regard. It's a very like humble tragicness where she's like, you know, we'll get into like every instance of it happening where she does like sacrifice her own physical well-being to save people using her powers at the cost of maybe releasing Trigon, which never happens, spoiler alert, this volume at least. And then this issue becomes all about all about uh, my favorite side character, Madam Sarah Sims and her crazy, abusive, mm-hmm. uh, full psychosis breaking lover, former lover, Mark. Uh, I don't remember his last name. He doesn't need a last name. Before we get into Mark's stuff, there's also a weird reference to Spider-Man here. I don't know if you caught it. Yeah. (laughs) Where Beast Boy, um, I don't think he, what does he say? He says like the spectacular Spider-Man or the spectacular Spider-Boy. Like monkey or something? Because he's an animal Something like that. And then in like the notes, it was like, haha, wink, wink to Marvel. And I'm like, I'm not used to there being a camaraderie amongst comic companies. I'm very like mid 2000s Marvel versus DC. Like the mentality that I had growing up for comic books was always like, they're very two separate entities. Never going to interact anymore. Yeah. There's a very tweak your nose kind of. (laughs) But here it was just out in like plain day. Like, no, we're just going to reference each other. And I liked that. I thought that was cute. And now we get into all the tragic nonsense uh, toxic masculinity that is marked because that's the rest of this issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the minute he takes Sarah Sims hostage when she denies his advances. Study a te- uh, toxic masculinity, but they try to have sympathy for him in that 80s kind of way in the end, which I found was weird. There was this running device where he keeps talking about Maddie, his other fiance before Sarah. And it, the text is leading you, I believe, in my opinion, at least where I went was, oh, he did something terrible to Maddie, too. I thought that's where it was going. And then by the end, it's this reveal of, oh, no, Maddie left him and she's dead because he's so upset. I'm like, but, but. Why would you keep but, saying dead? Those are very but, serious words. <laughs> oh, she's dead. And let me, he didn't even say, like, she's dead to me. No, you full on went, oh, no, she's dead. And I'm mm-hmm. like how did she die? Is this like that like shitty once upon a time in Hollywood moment where like uh, Brad Pitt may or may not have killed his wife? No, you. she just left you. She just yeah. totally didn't want to deal with your nonsense. So then you dump all your problems onto poor old pure innocent Sarah Sims and mm-hmm. hold her hostage in a mall for no reason. And the I think like- doesn't work. It's weird. No, his origins. I didn't need his origin story like <laughs> at all. I wrote in my notes, I was like more useless Mark backstory because I'm like, this is- uh, this guy's the worst <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was fun however seeing cyborg spring into action so fast yeah putting all of those like hesitant emotions about him and sarah's relationship aside and like really coming to her her aid in that moment i think maybe the mark backstory kind of lends itself to sarah being more of a fully fleshed out character because we do learn more about her her life before being a teacher and her life mm-hmm. before meeting Cyborg, which I thought was really interesting. And Cyborg relationship, because he's been in this whole dysphoria. Oh, she was going to be married and never told me. It's like, no, no, not a thing. Like, never even liked him. 
Nope. Oh, didn't at all. They, 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 according to her, they literally just dated. That was it, bar none. And here he's like, oh, we're lovers. We're meant to be. It's like, dude, take your grief somewhere else just because another woman left you. Please. It's pathetic. But Raven kind of like imparts these weird words about like forgiveness and what it means to forgive somebody. And I was like, yeah, he's not it though. Like, I, I, listen, I'm not one to impart when people need to forgive other people or when people want to. But in this instance, it was very clear that like the dude needed to go to jail because he literally had a full psychotic break in this moment. And that, no, just ignore him. Like, Raven, your empath powers are great. But like, I think this is like, once again, taking it a stretch too far. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> she undoes, like he shoots a bank teller or something in his hostage crisis and Raven heals that person. So there aren't really any ill effects necessarily from his little spiel, except, you know, pain and suffering, expenses <laughs> of calling in the SWAT team. But I mean, I can understand a call for restorative justice. I know George Perez, especially once he gets on Wonder Woman is all about it. So I can appreciate that desire, but I think we agree Mark is not really the best recipient. No, he's not, at least my part, like not redeemable. I'm like, whoa, dude, like, whoa. You need a therapy session like ASAP. (laughs) But like, that's really, that's really it for this issue. It was so... But when, when I got to the end of this issue, I was like, that was it? Like, I, I I was kind of expecting a little bit more. I kind of wanted one more conversation between Cyborg and Sarah yeah. because he doesn't mention her for the rest of this volume except for like one time when they're in a jet. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're kind of figuring out who we are right now. And I'm like, wait, I want to see that. Right. I want to see you two figure it out. I, I like Sarah. He's like, I can't decide if I like her as a friend or a lover. And I'm like can't you you were basically suicidal when you thought she had a fiance i don't think that's friend behavior (laughs) we do avoid the side character death trope because when i started this issue i was very ready for like sarah to get shot on accident i was Mm -hmm. like reading this i'm like when is it going to happen when is the side character going to die to further the main character's like plot and character development like fully expecting her to get fridged but luckily sarah lives Mm-hmm. So, who? <laughs> when he pulled up the gun, I'm like, no, not Sarah. <laughs> this is not right. So this continues into issue 36, which I think is almost my favorite issue. If it weren't for the Who is Donna Troy issue, I think this one might be my favorite issue. It's all about Thunder and Lightning and figuring out who their family or who their father is in actuality. And it ties in a lot of like Titan mythology that we didn't know before. So I thought it was a really cool like intersection of storylines i find the dismount a little awkward (laughs) i guess i would say because it just sort of becomes a monster of the week kind of story in that regard and i'm like but wait there was there was more to unpack here but um it's nice to see thunder and lightning it does move that story along and i guess that's sort of how marv's pacing works marv wolfman believes in the roller coaster and so if we resolve part of this storyline that means it has to go you know back ratcheting up to come back later we aren't gonna resolve everything at once so the beginning of it is all about curing thunder and lightning so upon finishing the issue i was fully expecting to not have them in play anymore i thought they were going to be completely cured and every appearance of them from here on out would have been like a weird uh 
like this shouldn't be canon moment like if they were in the background or something but luckily that's not the case we do get the should i quit theme from wally uh in this issue because as of this he's still a part of the team and still complaining and still contemplating his whole life choices mm-hmm. i wrote in my notes i'm like is this gonna be should i consider this a titan trope at this point like wally quitting Luckily, a couple issues later, we don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> we get like uh, conflicting ideologies between Thunder and Lightning where uh, they have very different ideas on how to play out situations. Thunder is the, I don't want to say like, well, he's very much the rage filled, like I'm going to punch everything kind they of. They remind me a lot of Hawk of and Dove, the original yes. Hawk and Dove pairing where, yeah. Yeah. And then Lightning is very much like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we like be a little bit more strategic about how we're playing this? We get a little bit more of their powers explained, which I thought was cool in this issue. And then once again, we do get Raven somewhere towards the beginning saying how like she didn't want to use her powers anymore, how she was very much against it for fear of Trigon, et cetera, et cetera. And then using her powers in the middle of battle. She's trying to heal Thunder and Lightning, but it somehow she like psychically contacts their father by doing so and their father is actually a shape-shifting alien spoilers and that causes her soul self to turn into this amorphous tentacly blob monster that's out of control because their shape-shifting alien father is currently being held prisoner and tortured by hive so his lashing out in pain and rage makes her soul self flesh out in pain and rage and we get a whole sequence of the titans well it's not a sequence really she says they're going to have to fight her soul self but then it's then it really doesn't resolves. happen it's, it's very <laughs> I mean, strange it kind of resolves pretty quickly uh in terms of like her soul self going a little haywire mm-hmm. uh it's one of those like tv oh, yeah, moments where like Wally pulls her back from the brink is what happens, yeah. which is super weird because the scene just before that, she asks him like what he thinks of her using, not using her powers. And he's like, I honestly don't think of you at all. And is super hurtful. And But then the next scene, he's like, oh, Raven, I love you so much. This isn't you. Can't you control it and pull yourself back from the edge? I love you so much. And I mean, turbulent emotions is a Titans trope angst and this back and forth but the the teenage angst is uh very um potent in this issue because wally just runs the gamut of his like will they won't they in his head seemingly in his head because i think everyone's like over it as well i think donna gives him a hug at some point this issue and is like dude you just need to like you need to calm down like you need to pick a lane i swear the world if the male teen titans went to therapy Wow. But, <laughs> I mean, if all the Teen Titans went to therapy, but especially the kids. <laughs> the guys, especially, like, even when we've gotten hints at, like, Beast Boys underlying issues mentally, like, he needs, they need help. They literally just, or they just need a little bit more conversation amongst themselves as friends. I'm sure they could come, mod- come like, come, come together as, like, I don't know, dude bros and, like, talk about their feelings and get over yeah. it. <laughs> Please. Like- the guys night Teen Titans Go episodes, I think sometimes have elements of that where there's that heterosocial bro- romance isn't the right word, but the male camaraderie, bonding, healing, you know. What you I'm said saying. the word I was trying to say like two minutes ago and couldn't. <laughs> it was in my brain. I just couldn't get it out. <laughs> I do like the interesting origin of their father. He's not a soldier. He's actually an alien that 
has been on earth for like hundreds of years and returned to like his ship, but it didn't recognize him. The, the, the big important stuff to take from his origin story is that he was taken in by Hive and somehow used by them to gain like socio-political leanings in like their shady businesses. Like, I think one of the purple headed hooded dudes was like, he's the reason we are so prosperous, yada, yada, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, wait, but how? Like, what <laughs> this mind controlling, like this weird alien dude is somehow like funding you guys as a, a, a business or a, like an evil entity. I, mean, I don't like, get he it. could be a sort of winter soldier, shapeshifty assassin, maybe, but they don't make that very clear if that's the case. They don't. And why uh, Deathstroke it, if they have a shape-shifting alien slave? Right? <laughs> no idea. It's so confusing. But all right, hi. Comics. Live your life, I guess. Villainy is something I don't grasp sometimes in these earlier issues, but okay. Unfortunately, though, they kind of set their father on the Titans and Thunder and Lightning, respectively, mm. uh, turning into this crazy battle between this weird amorphous alien being who somehow has like every kind of limb and it's all weird and crazy george was having um, fun <laughs> yeah, yeah he's got lots like, of tentacles there's exposed brain there's a lot going on it's a weird aesthetic but it's very george perez's aesthetic but he um, also has telepathy with thunder and lightning the way they have telepathy with each other which i guess is a result of their alien physiology probably and yes. <laughs> And we get, I think, the classic, like, intergenerational drama is a Titans trope, but it's ratcheted up, especially for Thunder and Lightning, because their mind-controlled father tells them, kind of awkwardly, in my opinion, it reminds me of what I found awkward about the Madame Rouge changeling murder. But similarly, he's like, I'm going to kill your friends. I'm mind-controlled. There's no way to stop this. You gotta kill me. And they do. And... That's super traumatic and horrifying, but the comic is just like, yep, you know, he said do they it. Commit so. full on, <laughs> they commit full on patricide, if that's the term, mm -hmm. right? Like where you kill yeah. your father. Like they commit full on patricide. And then it's like- not technically, is the thing. Cause then he changes back into human shape and Cyborg kneels over him and is like, no, no, he's not dead, you freed him. So I guess he's not really dead. But again, I felt like that was somewhat unclear because then it cuts to a few weeks later and Thunder and Lightning are just like, well, we got our blood transfusion from our father. We're going to go see our mom now. See ya. And I'm like, where did the dad where did the go? go? Where did Hyde go? <laughs> where, did any, where did any of the people that were there besides the Titans and Thunder and Lightning go? I have so many questions. Very unclear. That is, <laughs> that is a very um, good point is that Thunder and Lightning aren't cured by the end of this issue. They, their powers are kind of like hit reset where they can actually control them thus furthering their continuation in the canon of Titans mythology. Thankfully, because I like them. I want more of them. And then we get this little two-issue side story, mm -hmm. uh, you could call it, guest starring the Outsiders, who are the only members of our Sheikar Week this issue. I feel like it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller the more we go on into Titans lore mm -hmm. until we start introducing new teams, which I know you're going to have opinions on. Costume but changes. Costume changes, too. Very much that. So the Outsiders are like the side characters featured in issue 37. I didn't really come up with a Titan trope for this. It's just many superhero teams like to pop in and out of the Titans mm -hmm. uh, comics. Uh, a lot of the times to tell them what to do. And then the Titans will be like, can you not? Like we're an actual legitimate superhero team. We don't need you telling me 
it's like that leave them kids alone kind of mentality. Mm. Um, but the outsiders are here and they are featuring some iconic characters that I really do love. We have uh, Katana, we have Black Lightning, Metamorpho, Halo, and Geoforce, all very important mainstays in not just Titans mythology, but like greater DC universe mythology. It's a weird mix because Metamorpho was created by Ramona Freyden in the Silver Age and is like super old, but I interpreted Geoforce and Halo in particular as being younger and like Titan aged. And so at first I had thought it was sort of like a Young Avengers Runaways and that the unique thing about this crossover was that rather than the Titans versus another adult team, it was another kid team, so to speak. And we would have some of that dynamic, which with those characters we do. But now I'm realizing, like I just said, some of the characters aren't young. Outsiders is a bit No, uh, Black um, Lightning is also, yeah. I don't want to say old, but he's uh, very adult. adult. Yeah. <laughs> So mixed bag there, but there are some younger members to contrast with the Titans in that degree of the trope being, you know, generations versus each other. And so you get to see the contrast between the two different teams. Um, and my first note, actually, when I looked at the cover was, are we going to pretend that Geoforce and Terra aren't related? Which thankfully we didn't. Yeah, um, but... my favorite part of these two issues is like, you know, we, we've been talking about Tara for the past volume now and her kind of like flippy, is she villain, is she hero? Where is her mental state currently? And I think at the point of this issue, we really start to see like a very softer side to the character that she isn't so one dimensional in scope that she is being manipulated by Deathstroke, but she also has some good in her. She doesn't shy away from Brion in the slightest. Like mm -hmm. it's this very like, heartwarming reunion i do love tara so i am kind of biased in these two issues when they like save the island thing together i thought it was the cutest thing i'm like yes you can do good stop <laughs> just keep doing that a lot more texture i think yeah. i previously felt that she was more just flinty and kind of abrasive but here you kind of get to see more of the softer side of tara a little bit and just more bonding and so it creates a huge question of well how much of that was real how much was her trying to mislead the titans and i think part of the point is not even she or deathstroke necessarily know at this point um i find it frustrating that rather than an actual reveal it broadcasts the whole time haha i'm tricking the titans but I think the question for us as readers is not necessarily, is how much she's tricking the Titans and how much she's tricking herself. Yeah, I feel like it's, the metaphor I would probably go with, like you said earlier, is I feel like Tara's on a roller coaster ride that she can't control. Like mm. at one point she's on those lows where she knows she's gonna have to betray the team. And then the high points, like in this issue, she sees Brion and like, you see that spark of like, I don't wanna say adolescence, but you see that like, she has like a good heart sometimes. Like she's not just completely all evil. To bring up the outsiders is to bring up the villains of the issue, which is the Fearsome Five. Yep. I know you have particular feelings about the Fearsome Five. And I didn't want to necessarily uh, project that they show up a lot in Teen Titans, but I think you kind of got the point now that they often yeah. show up. I mean, they're classic Titans villains, sure. I mean, there's just a sort of yakety sax element to them, I think. Like one of the undercurrents, B storylines, whatever you want to call it, in this issue, two issues, is the power struggle between Dr. Light, who was the former leader of the Fearsome Five, 
and Simon, who usurps his position and kind of always has been to a degree, really. So they're squabbly, you know, evil eats itself is, I think, part of the trope being played with yeah. here. Um, but I don't know. That's I mean, it fun. costs them at one point. It's literally just three of them versus yes. <laughs> versus like eight heroes. I'm like, you guys are done. Like, I you can just like notes, walk like, up. Here's some but, four now. Put them in handcuffs. Like, just call it a day. There, there's no hope. When when it was like Metamorpho versus Shimmer, I'm like, Metamorpho could probably take out these three people mm-hmm. in in and of himself. Not even to mention the rest of his team. Not even to mention the rest of the Teen Titans. Like. They were definitely outnumbered at their own cost because Simon and uh, Dr. Light couldn't get their heads out of their own asses and mm-hmm. stop fighting over who was leader. Like, if you guys were direct and had a motive, like, even if Simon had lied to Dr. Light and was like, yeah, you're the leader, haha, wink, wink, and then could, like, telepathically tell the rest of the team, like, we're playing him, we need him, you know. But no, like, it was their definite demise. We do get introduced to Dr. Jace, mm-hmm. who I guess is the reason that Tara and Brion have their powers but also knows the secret of Terra because she does mention that briefly before they interact with them. But Dr. Jace aids them these two issues. I did like the Terra versus the Outsiders moment that we got because she does kind of rush to the battle beforehand. Mm-hmm. Another crazy revelation that I didn't know was that Dick Grayson has been Robin since he was eight. <laughs> like uh, a full-on child. We, we, we see him arguing with, uh, with Bruce Wayne at the manor kind of talking about his uh, title as Robin and his uh, life as a superhero teenager and child before the Teen Titans and the Outsiders call them to mm-hmm. kind of like figure out what's going on. And that's where that revelation is. And I'm just like, eight? <laughs> I was still watching SpongeBob, not even worrying about anything. And you're like kicking butt at eight? I mean, it explains all... parts of his psychosis, I think, <laughs> that Bruce really damaged him. It, well, I think Bruce would argue he was already damaged, but... He did but, watch his parents die, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't think Bruce helped. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's another BC storyline, I think, definitely through these two issues, is this idea that the Titans are kind of Dick's escape from Batman versus being a sidekick. And that creates tension because the Outsiders are Batman's team. And so there's this whole power struggle between Dick and Bruce being all, girl, I'm the leader. It seems very, uh, a lot of the aggression seems to come from Robin although like I guess I can't put myself in that situation of like dealing with the trauma of like growing up as a child superhero and then wanting to like forge your own path because like a lot of the times I felt like Bruce Wayne wasn't really acting out of pocket Batman when he was like he seemed kind of normal like we need to do these things is this the official sign that I'm like old now like that I'm siding with Bruce Wayne and I not mean, Dick Grayson. It goes both ways. I think definitely the aggression comes from Robin and he has a chip on his shoulder. And I think that is understandable though, because he was trying to get away from Bruce and here's Bruce taking charge. And... There are layers and layers on this dynamic and this relationship between the two of them. Um, not to the point where like, I would call Bruce Wayne psychotic or something. And that's that's a shade on the the show that's coming out that I have definite. We're going to pocket that for later. <laughs> like I guess the analogy is picture you're out with your friends for the night and then suddenly your dad shows up and it's like, hey guys, we're going to go to this bar. <laughs> it's like... I love that analogy. That's way better than 
saying fuck Batman. <laughs> oh, Jason Todd makes another appearance in the Teen Titans canon. As um, a redhead, confusingly. As a redhead again, I still don't get it. And when I was reading... I know in the Red Hood book, like not book itself, but like the Batman story about Red Hood, he uses like dye in his hair mm. to like fool people. But past that point, I'm pretty sure he's full on brunette the rest of his canon existence. So uh, super jarring to see him as this little redhead peep squeak where he's, where he's like, oh, I'm going to be Robin next. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going to be Robin. Yeah, everyone's going to love you. <laughs> No, they won't. Dr. Jace is basically captured by the Fearsome Five, tortured horrifically. This poor scientist lady, their evil hideout is apparently in Gotham City. So this kind of is Batman's turf. That does give him a little bit more, uh, I would say a little bit more, uh, what's the word? Authority to like command people and tell them what to do. However, I understand it because Robin has acted in Gotham and been a mainstay hero in there for a little bit. They find the hideout of the Fearsome Five and this big battle ensues and the Fearsome Five end up winning out against this crazy overpowered team because they have Earth Golems. And I'm so confused. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, so you even the number of people fighting, but also like Terra and Brion are right there. Shouldn't they be able to like take out these weird Yeah, these weird Earth things? Can't he like manipulate gravity to crush them instantly? Apparently not. They get the upper hand and the surprise and our heroes in a cliffhanger are like dead, but not dead. They're just Mm. in the middle of the ocean, which brings us to the uh, Batman and the Outsiders number five, where my favorite moment happens in here, where it's Terra and Geoforce using their powers in tandem to save everybody, Mm -hmm. which was so cute and so nice. And like another moment of hope for this tragic character where Terra's like putting away her... uh, alter ego of the traitor and like really putting forth the effort to be a hero can we talk about the noticeable art difference because george Perez, this is not i didn't look I mean, into the it's artists. hard to compare to george right very hard actually um, check the artist myself but yeah it definitely changes it's a different artist although i had questions about a later issue which we'll table um until then but <laughs> Uh, let me see if I can find it quick. A little snarky thing I felt when I got to the end and it was like the featured people and it was all men's names. And I was like, mm-hmm. But <laughs> you know, I, y- uh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Batman in the Story outside. art by Jim Aparo. Jim Aparo, outside Pencils, outside. Inks. He did three jobs, Pencils, Inks, and he did the cover. So, I mean, that's a possible, like, he was being stretched thin. <laughs> yeah, because that's a lot of work for one person to do, which is why a lot of the art comes off a little sloppy to me. I know there's a big contention within the art community about recoloring over people's works. Um, uh, there are people for it. There are people against it. I don't really have an opinion on it, but I could definitely notice the coloring of the times because a lot of the time stuff wasn't inside the lines. Mm. It was a little, like, bleedy. I don't know how yours was, but it was, like, just kind of sloppy but i think that was a a fault of the times and of the technology that we couldn't get crisp lines and like like the blackest of blacks it was just Mm -hmm. very uh free form if you will it definitely not george's work yeah (laughs) the processes of the color essentially get blobbed onto the page one by one in this era is i guess how i'd attempt to explain it and that's not the 
greatest by our standards today. Like I've seen the debate too, and I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. I saw people being like, there is a huge like editorial message being read into this coloring. I'm like, that just looks modern to me. I'm like, one is the old style, one is the new style is how I feel about it. But I, I don't <laughs> have any part in the discourse per se either. I just think, you know, uh, if an artist doesn't want their stuff to be recolored or if like an estate doesn't want an artist's stuff recolored, like don't do it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really probably would just take it on a case by case basis. But the art was definitely noticeable. Like characters looked so different. It was just jarring at certain points. Like I was used to Tara looking a certain way and then she ends up like as tall as Brion. And I'm like, what's happening here? Mm. She's short. She's a little pipsqueak. And why? I It's fine. We get some fun team intermingling in this issue. And because this one is so outsider heavy, we get some like foreshadowing to characters that are specific to the outsiders team. Most notably Halo. So in the most current Young Justice animated show, there is a character. I don't think she goes by Halo or does she go by a different name? I think they call her Halo, but she's a, how do, they updated the character to be quite different. I guess Very different. <laughs> I think they basically merged uh, the character Solstice and Halo into one because mm. they do kind of work on parallel levels. Solstice is a very much um, later character in the canon. Literally her debuts in like 2009 or 2010. She's super recent, but she is a character of uh, Middle Eastern descent. So I, that's how I thought it was. Um, but this is very different from either one of those characters. She does have the color changing Green Lantern-esque issue kind of power set. And she also doesn't know her origin. Uh, her and Donna Troy kind of bond over that uh, for a moment. We get more Robin and Batman infighting, weird, like microaggression infighting, where like Batman will say one thing and then Robin will be there to like be a smart aleck the next. <laughs> I think uh, a line that is simply changeling is a creep. I'm not entirely certain uh, what that means in context, but. <laughs> It's like I felt like he was pretty bad this arc overall as well. I don't remember the particular issue. We might be coming up to it later, but there's one where like he sexually harasses his tutor out of the room. And he's... Garth he has such a good character it. moment after that scene. And I'm, okay, we'll get there. It's, yeah. Beast Boy is on brand. It's just not our brand. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. He does like make lewd comments to Halo and that poor girl who doesn't even know where her life began is like, can you not? <laughs> Amidst all of this, like resurrecting themselves or like not actually dying, the power struggle with the Fearsome Five kind of reaches its apex where Dr. Light ventures off on his own and it ends up fighting with Simon's like giant head psionic thing, uh, which picks up the teams to his location. Mm -hmm. They rightly go beat his ass and then capture him. I guess the only thing of note is that Halo is like somehow compelled to fight with Dr. Light for a second. Uh, I'm not going to read Batman and the Outsiders past this point. I don't know about you. Yeah, we don't I didn't consult to. Batman and the Outsiders. I know nothing about these characters otherwise, <laughs> really. But there is a weird moment where Dr. Light sort of hypnotizes her with a light beam. And it's not and then really Batman's addressed. Like, oh, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, that was weird. Let's go get the Fearsome Five. <laughs> like, wait, what happened? I need to know. Like, why did she do that? Never going to get the answer. Maybe I'll read that later. I no. I do like certain runs of Outsiders as a fun note because they do intermingle with the Titans so mm -hmm. much towards their later runs. Um, Starfire is a main member for 
like four years in the 2000s. Same thing with Roy Harper, same thing with Nightwing, same thing with, uh, what are 13 Titans? Geoforce is still there a lot of the times too. A lot of characters end up staying there. And that leads to the uh, death of Donna Troy. One of the deaths of Donna Troy is the Outsiders and Young Justice and Teen Titans coming together. So they're going to they're gonna be around. So okay. get used to the characters. A lot of them are pretty interesting sometimes. Um, and they have great costumes sometimes. They uh, get the information from Dr. Light where the rest of the Fearsome Five are at. I wrote down the Fearsome Three because when both the Outsiders and the Teen Titans reach them, it's just Shimmer, Mammoth, and Gizmo versus the rest of these, these characters. Mm-hmm. And it's just over. It's over before it begins. They should have just put themselves in handcuffs right from the minute they walked out the door and saw so many superheroes. Simon was caught. Uh, Halo comes to the rescue right before he's about to vanish. And the most interesting thing is, like, Dr. Light quits being a villain Mm-hmm. at this point he leaves his suit there and he's like leaves a note literally saying i quit and i'm like no you don't <laughs> like stop lying like what do you mean you don't quit you just gave up your suit like boo he's hurt that he lost his group yeah like dude there are so many villains in this universe just go find other people like go didn't he originally put out an ad in villains weekly as i recall just <laughs> yeah just ad. put out another ad honestly <laughs> You'll Looking find your villains quick. But no, no backstabbing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <you're> but... <laughs> it gives us to my favorite issue of all of these is the Who is Donna Troy issue. Probably the most story heavy one, but only in terms of backstory. There's like no action in this whatsoever. It's all about figuring out who Donna's actual origin story is, who her parents are, who her parents gave their baby two there's a lot of like people in this issue i had a note about the art i was just double checking the artist because uh, i think it's still george yeah still george but just very dramatic shading he was going for sort of a noir vibe i think and in terms of like- things that offend james i feel ways about the choice to couch who is Donna Troy in technically a Robin story. Like Robin as detective is the vehicle of this story. And I feel like that was a misstep overall for something that's a revelation for Donna. But It really should have been her story to like tell or her story to figure out. I do kind of understand that Robin is smarter because he does, has been raised by like the world's greatest detective. I don't think that Donna should have been so like, uh, how do I put it? She felt like the side character, like the the sister in Psycho, where mm-hmm. she's really not the driving force of the story. She's just there to comment on like what's happening to her. And it's like, I, I guess I get it with the times, but like, I really wanted Donna Troy to have a little bit more agency in figuring out her own origin story. I was expecting a lot more like Jessica Jones and I got a lot of more dick tracy Mm. it does kind of like give them this very great bonding moment this whole issue Mm -hmm. Uh, multiple times donna expresses her love for him as a friend and like i think um going forward i'm gonna like remember them together the most out of this entire volume because he's there for her even when she doesn't want it uh in a nice way like she she just doesn't have the emotional uh bandwidth to continue searching for something that is caused her so much pain but dick grayson definitely takes up the mantle mostly at first because terry good guy terry hires him to find out more about donna's origin story not out of any malicious intent but just to kind of help donna Mm -hmm. which 
I thought was great. I yeah. think Terry's leaning more into like pure himbo territory. <laughs> like good guy, Terry, just like he sees his wife or future wife in pain and like is doing literally anything he can to help her. But we can get into like the rest of her origin story now. She talks about her life on Themyscira and who taught her. Donna's only recollection of her life is she was rescued by Wonder Woman in this fire next to two dead bodies. That was it. And was brought to Themyscira, taught the ways of the Amazon, and then given a part of the Amazon power by the Purple Ray. Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was I interesting. that because I was curious as to how she has powers in this current iteration. And so they gave us the explanation of, yeah, um, an Amazon super scientist rejiggers the purple ray to not just heal, but like collectively imbue her with the strength of the other Amazons. And that's the source of her powers here. Which I like. I thought that was cute. Um, there are other explanations of her origin story that are a little bit more dynamic, but this definitely works. I really do appreciate like the time that George and Marv took into basically making her origin story work. In the golden age, it was very confusing because she did start out looking exactly like Wonder Woman did as a child. Like bar none, they looked identical. Mm -hmm. So when this character appeared in the Teen Titans comic book in the golden age, everyone thought it was Diana. And then it turned into like her own character. Her name is Donna Troy. She's like her own being with her own agency. And it raised so many questions in the comics community, so much so that it was still talked about when I was actively reading like single issues way back in the day. You get the Titan trope of the dead parents, multiple different versions of dead parents. <laughs> yeah, different pileup. Because <laughs> uh, she goes through parents very fast. It is found out through um, a woman who used to work at an orphanage, her entire backstory. Um, when does Dick Grayson call himself Dead-Eyed Dick? I, I was so Donna did that. Did she call him that? Someone I called him that. I thought that was like a deadpan. I was like, what is this nickname? Please. <laughs> it's very strange. That would be really, yeah, it would be super weirded out if Dick were to start third person. Well, dead uh, Dick is gonna. No, none of that. Please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <No>. Gross. <laughs> Through this woman at this nursing home, she kind of gives Donna her entire origin story. So her mother originally put her up for adoption because she was dying of cancer. Then she was given to the Stacys. So it was Faye Stacy, the mother, and then Mr. Stacy, the father. They, they don't really bring up the father at all after this. Um, but then there was more tragedy in the sense of Faye couldn't keep her, I guess. Mm -hmm. So she was given, again, to a different set of parents who were uh, evil and going to, like, child traffic her, basically. And that's how she wound up in that building that burned down with them in it, mm -hmm. right? I think yeah. that was like, it was a lot to take in for one issue because <laughs> yeah, no action was happening. Three moms, just sick three mom, moms. poor mom, evil mom. And... <laughs> Her actual biological mother's name though is Dorothy Hinckley, who she's at, at the end of this issue, kind of like mourning her death, but also rejoicing in the fact that she does have the knowledge of her entire existence at this point, which I thought was really nice. I love mm -hmm. like Donna Troy getting her own issue. I think it was a long time coming. I think it put a lot of questions to rest. It was definitely, at least for me, my favorite issue of this mm -hmm. volume. Uh, issue 39, <laughs> the first thing I put in here is Robin's fur coat. It's a chic or weak? Weak, oh my God. It was just a vibrant, 
almost neon yellow that Robin's in while the, the team is trying to basically find where Brother Blood is, which puts them into a trap again. The power grid that drains their power and transfers it to Brother Blood, even though he's not on the site. <laughs> <He's> not there. <laughs> he doesn't show up to like the second to last issue. I, or the last issue. I have so many. I just don't. Brother Blood's motivations and Brother Blood's powers continue to just elude me and continue to question everything I think about reality because I don't get any of it. A lot of this, though, is just uh, a device to show that Tara is still being Tara. She's still the traitor. Uh, she has contact lens recorders in her eyes. She's monitoring everything from mm -hmm. battle tactics to identities to grits that like the Titans are inadvertently giving her which are going to Deathstroke. The neurons um, device of the issue is her reporting back to Deathstroke even. And I thought there was something very interesting in that the DC animated movie version of Judas Contract, when my friends and I watched that, there's an element of the pedophilia component to Tara and Deathstroke that we were really taken aback by and we're like whoa where did this come from but now revisiting the original 1983 comic I think that was very much implied and present in the original text um yeah it's, it's gross <laughs> visually given a very different Tara she has this shirt like slit all the way open. They're very conspicuous about redoing her makeup and even addressing in the text this notion of, oh, and Tara, before you go back to the Titans, make sure you wipe off that makeup because good girls don't wear it. She's like, fuck good girls. And it's very... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's leaning towards the darker storylines that we're getting especially more deep into deeper into the 80s it does kind of paint it like tara's the main person of like flirtation it's all gross first of all like let's just say that all gross her and the deathstroke agree to have a sparring match and throughout the entirety of the sparring match deathstroke is kind of like taken aback by how vicious and how angry she she almost kills him like full on he's like they don't the titans don't even know how powerful she is i don't even think i know how powerful she is at this point and it was a great fight scene almost to the point where i was like girl just kill him <laughs> <laughs> i'm like come on just do it if you She'd do it you win everything it, i think the titans yeah. will not know you're in the middle of nowhere you, you will, you'll be good you'll be kosher you won't you don't have to do everything you have to do later on. Please, just at this moment, kill him. But she doesn't. It's... That illustrates the tension in Tara, though. I think especially that idea of where she's like, well, I'm not a good girl. But it's like, you could be. Could there, be. There, there are chances there, but all of her trauma and her pain instead pushes her into this sort of role she creates to, for herself, this sexy, evil Tara that she doesn't have to be. It's debatable if that's like the true her, but that's where the world has left her. And it's very sad. It is. It's so tragic, but also like so complex. I mean, a lot of the other characters in the Titans roster currently, save for I think Donna at this point, especially like Wally, <laughs> hello, <laughs> Wally or Roy, or a lot of the other characters who have come down the line in the roster, you kind of got them figured out, right? Like you kind of know what they're going to do at any certain point. Tara is such a wild card and it's so interesting and so fresh to the team, especially in terms of the story. She just, 
her allegiance lies with Deathstroke, but there's also a part of her a lot through this whole entire volume where it's like, no, I actually can do good. And people see that I can do good in me and that's inspired. And it's like, no, I want you to be a good character so bad. And it's so sad what happens. But this whole issue after that, uh, Tara rejoins the team and we get some like crazy roster shifts where Wally out of costume kind of announces that he is, he's done. Finally. Oh, thank God. Blessed be. Ding dong. Titan is gone. This is another Titan trope, which will happen often. It is the Titan farewell. Uh, Our first one, not the last by a long shot, because the Titans roster often shifts so fast, it kind of hits you in the head without you even realizing it. But this one was very gradual, almost to like a dead, like, stop. Like, I just wanted Wally to leave. Mm. And we're here. Finally. (laughs) Uh, There's like a cute little bonding moment with him and Tara where she's like, you're the only one I kind of really like on the team before he's out. He leaves. He joins Francis at the dock. He gives a heartfelt goodbye to Donna and Robin, the two like original members of the team from the Mm -hmm. Golden Age. And then he's no longer seen the rest of this volume. uh, Farewell for this issue is the Robin moniker. Dick Grayson announces that he is retiring it, that it is solely meant to be the sidekick of Batman. Mm-hmm. And that it's time for him to forge a path for himself. I think it fits with where they took the storyline. And it's a very natural evolution. I think there are elements of the... Cyborg calls him short pants all the time. And they're <laughs> like... It's sort of a term of endearment. It's sort of homophobic. It sort of leads into this idea of, well, Robin is a child identity. And so Dick needs to find something else. And I like that. And I like the idea of him defining himself and coming up with something new. And I like the idea that he says, since I'm just Dick Grayson for now, Donna is going to be your leader. I like that a lot. <laughs> I am very ecstatic to have Donna as leader, which makes the next volume or next issue so weird because he's just there, but he's not there. Uh, I'm glad that there wasn't like the the silly trope where like, oh, I'm a woman in charge. What does that mean? Blah, 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 blah. No, Donna naturally just steps into the shoes of leader and doesn't question herself hardly ever. Thankfully, because I think she's a perfect team leader instead of Robin or Dick Grayson at this point. I had to say in our last episode, actually, that I feel there's a very strong statement in leadership styles between the depictions of Dick and Donna. And Dick is a very classical depiction of leadership and this idea that it's about knowing what to do and telling people where to be. And Donna, I think, depicts a much truer sense of leadership in that she's she cares about people and she's in tune with people and she kind of tries to figure out what they need and where they belong and how they can grow. And I think that's a very important aspect of leadership and why it's so great to really see Donna come into her own and get to lead. Thankfully, finally, (laughs) (laughs) I've said this before and I'll say it again. I love it when the Amazon girls, I guess this one, because they're teenagers, like lead the team, like either Cassie or Donna, they're my OG. Like if I'm going to pick somebody to lead a team, for the Teen Titans, most often than not, it's not any Robin, Tim, <laughs> Dick, Damien. It's none of them. It's always going to be Donna or Cassie first and foremost. So to see her like take it, uh, take it on as a leader, oof, so good. 
we do get the continuation of the gritty art style even into this issue, which is going to be a lot more pervasive, especially when we get into the uh, next volume, which is the penultimate volume to the end of this first run. I don't know how you're feeling about that, but I looked at it and I'm like, oh, wow, we are like literally almost done with the first, um, I I don't know what you want to call it, omnibus or the the like OG George Perez and Marv Wolfman run. Like the two volumes left and then that's it. We move on to the new Teen Titans. Like they're, I don't, I don't know what comes is part of the problem, but if it's a major change of roster, et cetera, then I feel like it comes too soon because we barely scratched the surface of these characters, really. I would say like, there's so much to explore between the different triangles as Marv put it with the two genders. There's so much in terms of Dick and Corey. And if they're just gonna kick people off the team and restart, why? Well, we will see. I don't want to give anything away. (laughs) We'll get into the next issue now. The last two here, uh, issue 40, we are back to Zendia for these two issues. Again, uh, I almost feel like the Titans should have a tower there and not in New York because we go to Zendia so often in this this run. We get this crazy, like, Elizabeth Bathory, Brother Blood Resurrection vibes. Yeah, Um, I was super confused at first because I thought they were being figurative about the boiling blood of his enemies. And then later on, it's no, it's it's literally the boiling blood of his enemies. Okay. It's literally boiling blood. But it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he rises out of this boiling blood like he's straight out of some Hellraiser movie. Full, in the full BDSM, very queer-centered kind of garb. I don't understand his I outfit continue still. I to point out, like, it floors me that they put that costume on him and then have people being like, but he seems like such a nice man. I'm like, that would never... When he's on TV before Bethany Snow and... and he's like, oh, you know, I'm like this, like, bastion of good. I'm like, you have a skull on your face. <laughs> It has sharp teeth and horns. <laughs> what are we doing? Stop lying. It's black and red. Everyone wears black and red. It's like evil. <laughs> but, uh, you, you might as well just have evil like tattooed on your forehead because you are. Like, I'm glad that you somehow like have these magnificent like mind control powers that you can just persuade anyone to do anything. But like, I'm not fooled. I am so confused on that aspect too because several times he's speaking and the characters will be like he has a hypnotic power I'm like is that literal or I'm confused you're just in this you're in the background like taking notes and you're like are you for real like is this legit or not like I I was very confused when he's like addressing people throughout the world and they're being swayed I'm like do you mean he's literally hypnotizing (laughs) them or are they just like swept up I'm not I'm not clear on but that. But how? <laughs> we get, uh, this is the moment you mentioned earlier about Gar's education and what it means to be a teenage superhero, almost kind of a celebrity at this point, because mm-hmm. him and Tara are being uh, taught by a tutor that he proceeds to attack as a koala and run out of the building, which was so weird. Gar, like, you need a handle on your shit. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you need a, a literal leash at this point if you're going to do anything. But a good thing that comes out of it is him and Tara get like a really nice bonding moment Mm. for once. He even mentions, he's like, I know like before we have this conversation, you're probably going to tell me to shut up. You're probably going to call me an idiot, but I'm like legit being real with you right now as a, as a friend. And I think she one found it very comforting in that moment 
and two made me like their relationship a little bit more a lot of the times in the titan canon we're supposed to look to them as like the og couple right like it was starfire and raven and then it was tara and beast boy and up until this point i hadn't seen it i had seen just tara telling him to shut up like at every path anytime he opened his mouth tara was there to be like quiet (laughs) shh but here, it was a really nice conversation between the two of them. I put in my parentheses, finally, like good bonding between the two. They're going to the TV station where Brother Blood is questioned on Bethany Snow's television. Her allegiance is all over the place to me. I put it in my notes as well. Like, is she actually betraying Brother Blood or is she not? I don't get Bethany at this point. They really kind of built her up two volumes ago to be this like, important side character and all she's kind of done is be a tv host so Mm -hmm. that's i guess what i'm going to consider her at this point i did write that the audience was very captivated by uh brother blood's words and his nonsense lectures about doing good even though he's dressed as a literal like villain like you might as well be like uh skeletor from fucking he-man like come on imagine it's so weird to me that you'd like prance on a stage and bds gear and a skull and people would be like oh yes this is a responsible spiritual and i'm not trying to be judgmental i'm just like oh i'm being judgmental like i'm thinking about being a kid and being told i can't wear black because that means i'm satanic or whatever like but here's brother blood dressed like this no this would not fly <laughs> it's no not at all as nice as like you want to be about it the dude like is straight up evil and looks evil i'm buying any of it we get dick grayson undercover for a lot of these next two issues with that ugly mustache and blonde hair and i think there are some limitations to artwork in the 80s where he just looks like a completely different person mm-hmm. like there was nothing leaning to it being a disguise but apparently everyone on zendia knew it was dick grayson the minute he stepped onto that island Mm-hmm. because they recognized it immediately that it wasn't actually this blonde person with yeah. some stash. He's immediately uh, captured and subjected to the most rapid brainwashing program in all of history. But <laughs> Jesus, it was just the flip of a switch. I Again, Brother Blood's powers and like the power level eludes me. It's never going to make sense to me, this character. We get like the weird political subplot where it's like all the governors who are like on the island witnessing like both the good and the bad of like the president marco and then it was so strange because marco's like super welcoming and all like i'm a great guy go wherever you want do whatever you want and then later in the issue the police show up and are like the president said you went into a restricted area and now we're being arrested and like but why what i i didn't understand (laughs) what's going on there why are they even here? I mean, we could have just had Dick Grayson going to Zandia on his own without mm-hmm. these political figures having to be there and having to witness any of it. Zandia is a little bit more fleshed out, though, because as mentioned, we do know now who their president is. His name is Rafael Marco. He doesn't really do much besides mm-hmm. be a dictator. I'm like, at this point, I agree the adage that everyone on Zandia is bad because as far as I've seen, everyone on Zandia is bad. Yeah. He's like, oh, they keep the poor... Uh, they keep the poor poor by taxing them and not taxing the rich. And I'm like, that's eerily uh, timely. I hate that. Moving on. The Titans end up knowing somehow that Dick Grayson's uh, cover has been blown, which leads them to go to Zendia and infiltrate like underneath the island, mm-hmm. which I thought was a lot you of work. The Titans sub, which cyborg sort of lampshades and is like huh we've never taken this out before and it's like yeah where was the sub 
but i was fully <laughs> expecting aqualad to be like oh here let me help you and i'm like oh you just have a random like submarine in your back pocket who paid for that like cyborg your dad's been dead for five volumes how did you where is the capital <laughs> coming from for these people so they have it it ends up being a trap though it ends up not <laughs> being really for their favor and this is where we do learn that dick grayson has been mind controlled and that the boiling blood fuels brother blood somehow and that that gives him power of some unknown measure into issue 41. <laughs> Moving on. Do bathe in blood and get powers in the DC universe? Does this work? But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Elizabeth Bathory had something right because I don't, I don't get it. I opened up my notes in issue 41 with killing the Titans gives blood their abilities, question mark. Like the power... Previously, the power grid would drain their powers and give them to him, but the blood does that as well. So magic, technology, why the redundancy? I'm so confused by these elements, but... Every time he shows up, I have 10 more questions and no answers. It just keeps adding on. I'm like, are we going to get something where they explain any of this? No? All right. Raven, amidst their capture, tries to use her soul self to free them, ends up backfiring awfully because as we know brother blood is immune to it mm -hmm. which if i was there i'd have been like raven you you tried this already and it didn't work <laughs> why are you doing it again it basically ko's her for like the entire issue but in a great moment tara ends up saving the yep. team by like encrusting them in like this dome thing that she does it like twice in this issue <laughs> where she like yeah. puts them in a, yeah. a rock formation that like saves them which saves them, but then there's like weird Home Alone style booby traps in Brother Blood's lair that they weren't expecting somehow. And I'm like, what is this? Like the weird, like giant rock fingernails following from the sky. I feel um, that Marv was probably a Dungeons and Dragons player. This issue feels very <laughs> inspired by D&D &D to me, the way there's like traps and bizarre monsters all over the hideout. It just feels of that nature to me. I didn't even think of it like that, but that makes that makes a lot of sense. I wonder, I wanna like hit up George in the DMs and Marv Wolfman and be like, did you guys like D&D &D growing up? Did you? <laughs> did you like play a campaign of D&D &D with, with the Teen Titans and that was like how you formed this story? Cause that would make a lot of sense. Amidst all of that, Cyborg ends up saving Tara and she's like the most shocked. <laughs> she's floored. She's like, why would you save me? And he's like, uh, you're a member of the team. We care about you. Mm -hmm. And it does it, it happens twice in rapid succession. <laughs> yeah, it happens twice this issue. And she's shocked every time. And I'm like, girl, we love you. We care about you. Like, this is that you. tower moment. <laughs> we were rooting for you. <laughs> the Titans end up coming with a plan, which is to surrender, uh, more or less, and like kind of bait Brother Blood out of hiding, essentially, and be like, okay, you want to fight us, then fight us one on one. Like, that's the only way we'll solve anything. And I'm like, wait, can't y'all just attack him? Like, can't you just burn this place to the ground and attack him? I was very with Tara in that argument where she was like, can't we just literally tear this place brick by brick? And Donna's like, Donna's like, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, damn it, okay, and I can't. The logic of Donna is impenetrable at this point and I can't argue with it. But that just gives them into another trap of another like weird uh, robots mm -hmm. that Donna has to, uh, navigate luckily tara again encases them in this dome to protect the civilians starfire kind of unleashes her powers at this point she kind of mentions like i've been holding back given the fact that i am a hero 
and that I don't want to hurt anybody. But the minute Raven tells her, like, I don't sense life in these robots, it's game on. And Starfire, like, obliterates, like, three robots in one. I thought it was pretty great. I know you probably thought it was pretty great. Like you said, it's great that Corey gets to let loose. And that's been something that has been a sticking point between her and Dick, especially. There's an element there of just... There's a huge similarity between Donna and Corey in so many ways. And so it's important for you to then find the gradations between them. And so this is one of our very clear lines where Donna more holds back and Corey is looking for an excuse to cut loose. Yeah, and cut loose she does. <laughs> the minute she found out the civilians were fine, she's like, okay, it's on. You get Dick Grayson um, kind of snapping out of his mind control because as much as they were winning in that battle, of course they had to lose and get captured again. I feel like it was like getting captured like five times in a row. It was like battle capture, battle capture, whatever. They're about to fall into the pit of blood once again and Dick Grayson snaps out of his mind control. He breaks the machine, freeing them. At that point, simultaneously, Marco was sending the Zendia army mm-hmm. onto Brother Blood's uh, Sanctorum, they called it, which ends up killing him somehow because the military attack destroys part of the building, yeah. falls on Brother Blood, and he's somehow, well, it's we think he's into killed. into a villain fall death into his pit of boiling blood. Yes. Which actually might Very be this like, question here. Like, it gets revealed this was all his plan all along somehow, because now on the international stage, everyone is like, Zandia is evil, and Brother Blood was good and wrongly killed by this terrible president, and we're going to welcome his followers throughout the world. But if his power comes from that pool of blood, where do, like, does he lose his powers now? Because no more pool? Is it like a Lazarus pit and he just has spares? I Questions. We'll see. <laughs> 10 more questions, zero answers. That theme continues with Brother Blood. But his death ends up ending this volume. Uh, like you said, there is this like weird theme of like, uh, he's dead, but his image lives on. And it like kind of reminded me on like cult leaders and like religious persecution of like, the bad religions and how like they're often vilified but then that vilifying kind of like rounds up helping them somehow Mm. weird weird themes we're working with with the entirety of zandia every time we go to zandia i know i'm in for like a wild fucking ride and my brain isn't going to comprehend half of it this is the uh end of volume six any general thoughts any last feelings you have right before we move on to Sheikr week um just i thought there were some big moments for Donna and Dick in this volume that, and not all of the volumes necessarily had defining character moments uh, were this big. Um, So it was nice for this to be a very momentous arc. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think I was hoping the Judas contract was here, but I was definitely not disappointed with what I saw. I think that it'll be interesting when we go into the next run after Marvin George uh, end, because there's a lot that happens. But moving on, we have Sheikr Week. We don't have any villains this time around because there's no costume upgrade. There's no new villains, really. It's just more of the same. Brother Blood, Fearsome Five, Dr. Light, a lot of the mainstays of the Titans anthology. No costumes we have to uh, talk about uh, specifically. But for the good guys, we do have all of the outsiders. I don't think necessarily that we have to comment on Batman's outfit. I mean... It's Batman. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. It might change shade. It might have a, a color added, but it's Batman. 
but the rest of the outsiders are not safe from our judgment. First up is Katana with her uh, sword and her bright yellow and red. I know that we've talked about like the comics industry's perception of people of color and uh, minorities. How do you feel about her outfit as it applies to her character? Um, I think they use the word samurai at one point specifically, and I see that, I would say, as the biggest visual influence. Um, And in that case, it just becomes, I guess, sort of a question of how much is this sort of Japanese drag in a way, though, versus, I don't know, I think a more minimal style suits Katana better, and this is very loud. (laughs) (laughs) and very involved like just for the artist as well I think this is an exhausting costume to have to repeat yeah there's so many details all of its details there's so much going on there's a lot I don't like about New 52 when it came out in 2011 it premiered I did however like Katana's outfit from that uh reboot which did abandon the common red and yellow color scheme. However, uh, red and yellow applied to like Asian characters is so heavily used in comic books, even specifically within the DC universe. There's like judo masters in red and yellow, katanas in red and yellow. Uh, I think at one point, who else is there? There's just so it's like a common trope for me. So on that basis alone, I'm going to give it a week just because I know where the costume goes. I mean, it's, it's a nice introduction to the character. It was uh, more than we got in that stupid Suicide Squad movie. So on a character basis, I like her. Her outfit just needs some work. Uh, next up is Black Lightning, which is giving me like 70s black exploitation, like realness. I mean, it's the very realness. classic um, Black Lightning, right? In this is the classic Black Lightning costume, more or less. Afro included. <laughs> How do you... I can like see you like trying to process this outfit. (laughs) It has to be weak by virtue of this is the 80s now. This is a very 70s outfit, I would say. Like the 70s screams off of it. But (laughs) it's very like disco 70s. We need an upgrade. Like, get out of that outfit. The collar and the white mask with the blue. I don't, it's a weak. Definite week. <laughs> also, weird experimentation in blending tightness and looseness. Like the sleeves are puffy, but the rest is still skin tight. Weird things go on with this costume. Metamorpho next, who is um, the strangest character, uh, whose yeah. outfit doesn't change ever. He's yeah, I think this perpetually... is from the fifties in his case, right? Which. I- I mean, for that alone, I guess I have to give it a chic because yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, but... iconic in the sense of no artist has dared to try and change it. Although I don't think there really is a way you could change it. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see like a live action adaptation of him and mm-hmm. see how he's depicted like in real life. As long as it's not on like the CW. Next up is Halo. In a lot of ways, I'd say it's one that would translate contemporary like you could just put it on someone right now and it would look the most normal versus Mm -hmm. that's a 70s or 80s look but the shapes are sort of weird is my criticism like they're sort of just amorphous blobs in places and i eh. it's asymmetrical for no reason and for a character who's like her powers are to control everything on the color spectrum and everything that comes with that her costume's like predominantly black 
-hmm. which is strange to me. I, I fully expect like, I don't know, more than that. It is very classic in the sense of kind of like Metamorpho, her outfit hasn't changed all that much in recent memory. The last time I've seen her in comics was, God, I think it was around like 2009, 2010 when she was a part of the Outsiders again. And her outfit, just the same, no change whatsoever. But does that make it good though? Uh, I like the color streaks in her hair. I think that's a very cute touch. I think to her benefit, I think Demanda uh, would make a great Halo. Uh, <laughs> I feel like every volume I end up picking a character that I'd like to see Demanda Martini, a favorite drag queen of ours, cosplay. And I think Halo is the definitive pick of this volume. I mean, I guess I'll give it a, I'll give it a shake. I think. For, and then last but not least is Geoforce. And I have a feeling you're going to have a certain opinion about the colors. It's just Boy Terra. It it's is ugly. just Boyterra. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> I want to cosplay as both him and Terra, respectively, which means I just change my hair color and wear less for Terra. But they're definitely both on my cosplay list. And for that alone, I have to give him a chic. He does have some costume changes in like the 90s, but then quickly reverts back to this outfit specifically. And for that, I have to give it a chic. And I know you have a, I think you're going to probably give it a week just based yeah. off the color scheme alone. Doesn't he have a green look in the Young Justice Outsiders cartoon? I think that appeals to me more. I don't know what it is about the orange and yellow that just, ugh, hate it. can't. You hate the orange and yellow? <laughs> but that's fine. You know, we don't always have to agree. <laughs> and with that, that brings us to the end of this volume. Next volume is the Judas Contract. We get so many stuff happening in that volume and it'll be very interesting to react to all of it. Uh, we will actually have Aaron, your husband, do yeah. on. So get excited about that. And uh, where can we find you? I am on Instagram as GeekyJP and I am ProletariThought on Twitter. I'm still not going to be able to pronounce that. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Joe Pride Cosplay on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find our merch. We do have these t-shirts for sale, both this one and the Pride of the Titans t-shirt. Subtle. <laughs> uh, at my at our public uh, Joe Pride Art. And you can contact us on our Instagram, Titans Together Pod. We post semi-regularly. I am now officially freelance as an artist, so expect a lot more updates on that Instagram coming forward. And yeah, with that, we'll give you a hearty goodbye. Bye.